Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in fabulous Las Vegas, where I have just completed my first week here at the World Series of Poker. I did have a guest, a special guest, scheduled for this episode, but not surprisingly, with all of the poker going on, this guest had to cancel at the very last minute. And the podcast is due out tomorrow as I'm recording this on Thursday, October 14th. So I need to do a solo episode. But you know what? Maybe this is a good thing because it gives us a chance to reconnect. You and me. We haven't had a chance to talk one-on-one for a while because I've had the likes of Alex Fitzgerald and Jeffrey Platt. By the way, you guys really dropped the ball on the feedback on the Jeff Platt episode. Here I am working overtime late at night after a final table and getting one of the most influential figures in the whole world of poker to come on my podcast right in the middle of the Rio with cards and chips flying all around us and all the background noise and everything else to try to get you guys in the spirit of being here with me at the World Series for those who are unable to attend for whatever reason. And there's nothing. I'm checking my Twitter. I'm thinking we're going to have all these mentions for me and at Jeff Platt. Nothing. So I don't know if you guys didn't get the episode, if you're not subscribed to this podcast feed, um, if you listened and did not enjoy it or whatever. But I'm letting you know that uh, I feel hurt by this. And one thing I've learned about relationships like the one you and I have, is that communication is key. So I'm communicating that you hurt my feelings by not giving me any feedback whatsoever on the most recent podcast episode before this one. And you can make up for it right now by going to twitter.com slash Clayton Comic and showing some love for the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. By the way, if you're not yet a member of Tournament Poker Edge, now is the time to subscribe. Use the promo code PODCAST at checkout and you will save $10 off of your first month's membership. All right. Well, so what else is going on? We talked to Jeff Platt. Um, The World Series is in full swing. The numbers are good. You don't have to wear a mask at the Rio. Oh, I got to do commentary with the great David Tuckman on Poker Go, which will later be trimmed down to a one-hour special to be shown on CBS Sports Network and presumably the Paramount app, although I cannot confirm or deny those particular rumors. I just know that the last time we did something with CBS, they had an app called CBS All Access and they were showing those one-hour episodes of some tournaments, including the ones for which I did commentary with David Tuckman. Uh, and and they, those were available on the app. So I'm not sure, but I'm guessing they're going to do it the same way. Everyone I ask is uh, unclear (laughs) as none of the episodes have been even released on CBS Sports Network yet. So that's coming in a few months, but it was the 3K. So for those who are Poker Go subscribers, you can watch 
the final table of the 3K freeze-out event that took place last Friday. And David Tuckman and I had a great time doing the commentary. The characters at the table were vivid and lovable and really fun. So of all the final tables I've done, I think this is probably my favorite just because the players brought a lot of personality to the event. In keeping with kind of the general theme, most of us are just happy to be back. You know, it was really hard last year having the World Series of Poker canceled, or as they like to say, transferred to an online-only event (laughs) for which players in two of the 50 states could compete. (laughs) But yeah, enough about that. I think we're all happy to be back here. A lot of people are making the same mistake I keep making and saying, how's your summer going, when they really mean, how is your fall going? It's weird having poker and football all happening at once. But yeah, I think everybody's happy. People seem giddy. There isn't a lot of negativity going on at this point. So I love to see it. And it was great, especially to see it with the cameras rolling last Friday on Poker Go. All right, now for the moment you've all been waiting for, I want to talk about the mystery bounty tournament at the Wynn Hotel and Casino. Now, as you guys know, I love the idea of this format. To be fair, it was originally announced as part of the proposed schedule for the 2020 World Series of Poker. The idea of a mystery bounty, you will bust someone and every player that you bust will have an unknown dollar amount attached to him or her, ranging from $500 all the way up to $250,000. Anyone who listens to this podcast on a regular basis knows that I love poker innovations like this one that bring a little bit more gamble back into the game, make it more fun for recreational players, and don't give so much rewarding to just folding. So everybody knows that the top pros in the world are really, really good at folding and not taking any chances. But it's more fun to play a game where people are taking a few chances, and it's definitely more fun to watch and or do commentary on a game where people are getting in there and mixing it up. If you think about poker's heyday, you had characters like Gus Hansen and Tom Dwan, even Phil Ivey when he was younger, making big moves, putting people to tough decisions. I mean, put it this way. If I told you I have two different final tables for you to choose from, which one do you want to watch? Michael Mizraki and a bunch of amateur players, or do you want to watch another final table comprised exclusively of internet wizards who are all very, very, very interested in laddering up? Which tournament do you think will be more interesting? Watching a bunch of nerds wait for aces or watching somebody put a man to a decision? Well, I think my answer is clear. And tournaments like the Mystery Bounty or the uh, PKO format that is so popular online, like the Venom on ACR that we did uh, several episodes about a few months back, these are the kind of tournaments that inspire and reward action. So if a decision is really, really close in a format like this one, It is better to give action than to fold because there is a lot of value in building a big stack that you can then use to bust people because a lot of the payouts come just from 
busting people rather than the typical format, which is all about survival. Now, this doesn't mean you should go too crazy and make too many bizarre and wild radical plays just in the name of trying to get all the chips on the first hand of the tournament. That's not what I'm saying, but I think all things being equal, it's fun to watch people go for it. And so that's what tournaments like these are good for. Uh, the difference between the originally proposed World Series of Poker Mystery Bounty and the ripoff version that I'm such a fan of at the win is that in the win version, you have to be in the money before the bounties even come into play. So all of day one plays basically like any other tournament. But if you make day two, that's when you start collecting those mysterious and unknown prizes for busting people once you're already in the money on day two. So it's a pretty big difference. Uh, I do think the strategy for day one is much like any other tournament. You're just trying to uh, make good EV decisions and get to the end of the day with one small difference, which is there is much more value in having a big stack at the end of day one of a mystery bounty tournament than there would be in any other tournament just because you will have that power to bust people and no one will have the power to bust you on day two if you are a chip leader. So that is kind of the mindset that I had going into this thing. Uh, mostly I was just giddy. I don't like wearing a mask when I play because I don't like hiding my facial expressions from my opponents. Uh, I found a visor that covers my whole face and allows you to see me and all of my beauty. So that's what I was wearing at the win and some of my uh, poker playing friends such as Matt Stout and Anton Wig were making fun of my visor. But, you know, for one, it's more comfortable for me. And uh, for two, I like being able to look at my opponents and have them know what kind of expression I'm making when I do so. And just a mask, all you can really see are the eyes and my eyes are pretty dead, so they don't really reveal anything at all. So anyway, I have a few hands from day 1A. I ended up firing, spoiler alert, I did end up busting before the end of the day on day 1A and I ended up firing again on day 1B. So a total of two bullets in this $2,200 mystery bounty event at the Win Poker Room. Uh, with a $2 million guarantee that I'm pretty sure was completely and utterly shattered, although I can't confirm that. Um, the way things were going, we had like 600 players on day one, day 1A. So with two more starting days, I actually wouldn't be surprised at all if they got to $3 million. Anyway, uh, early on, on day 1A, the blinds were 200-300 with a 300 big blind ante. And your boy... Hero Clayton has 40,000 up from the 30,000 starting stack. Uh, the first few hands that got me that extra 10K aren't that interesting. It was mostly like I raise it with ace king, flop a king, bet, get called, bet the turn, and they fold. Uh, a couple of good things like that happened early to kind of get me started off in the right direction. But this hand's interesting 200, 300, and a reasonable player, as far as I can tell. Uh, opens from third position to 800. Uh, we are in the cutoff, aka fifth position at this eight-handed table with pocket aces. I think that 
with stacks this deep and with players yet to act, etc., you should not be calling with your aces here. There are times when slow playing aces is correct, but I don't think this is one of them. I'm going to have some bluffs in my three betting range, which will include hands like king jack sometimes, ace four of hearts sometimes, um, and other hands that I just don't really want to call with because they're not quite strong enough, but I also don't want to fold because they're a little bit too strong. So those are the hands that I will mostly have in my late position three betting range versus this player's middle position open. So to balance that, I need some value and I need to make sure that I include aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, ace, king, ace, queen in that value range. So of course, we're going to three bet here and I make it 2,600. It's a, a little bit more than three X, the original open. This is the sizing I would use in position, uh, regardless of what part of my three betting range I happen to be holding. So yeah, it's a pretty consistent raise sizing. Deep stacks, uh, we want to be able to three bet a little bit bigger than you would with a shorter stack. So yeah, I make it 2,600. And now it folds around to the small blind, who is a 32-ish, muscular, tough-talking Bulgarian player that does not strike me as a professional. Uh, Earlier, I made a river bet that he snap-called, and when I showed him the winning hand, he said something to the effect of, yeah, I that's what I thought. I just called to see what you're betting with or something like that. Um, kind of justifying his bad river call, which is usually the sign of an amateur. Like a really good professional player is not going to explain to you why he's making his poker decisions in the middle of the tournament. I don't think that that's something the best players would do. So whenever someone makes a call and then is a little bit embarrassed about getting, you know, pwned or whatever, and they try to justify it with uh, words, that usually, but not always, is a sign of an amateur player. Um, Just generally, he's been involved in way too many hands, and uh, it's been working out for him, though. Uh, To his credit, he's run his 30K up to about 65-ish, so uh, he is the chip leader at our table. So um, he looks down at something and then looks up at me, and looks interested. So in my head, of course, I'm like, come on, four bet. Let's go. This guy and I already have a little bit of history because he made it a thing. And now is my chance to try to play a very big pot versus him in position, holding the nuts. And it doesn't get any better than that. So imagine my delight when he says 11,000. The original razor folds. And now the action is on hero. Again, holding pocket aces and facing a four bet, uh, I think this is the time to slow play. So earlier when the original bet was 800, I was saying I want to always three bet with the nuts here. Well, in this spot, I think that trying to get it all in pre-flop is fine, but I want to talk about SPR. If we just call, there's going to be 26,000-ish in this pot already. And we will be left with a mere 29,000 behind. So just over 
SPR of one. Well, when your SPR is that low, you basically have a pot size bet left a little bit more um, on the flop and you have three streets in which to get it all in. This is the time when you can slow play your aces, especially against an aggressive, tough-talking, muscular, Bulgarian, 32-year-old opponent who seems to have it in for you already. So this is where I decide to go ahead and just make the call. And now with, as mentioned, 26000 in the pot and 29000 in hero stack, the flop comes nine of diamonds, nine of hearts, deuce of spades, nine, nine, deuce rainbow. And we have aces and our opponent shoves and we can't wait to get the chips in. We beat him into the pot and then he turns over the pocket queens and we win the hand. So this is how things went for my first couple of hours in this tournament. And when the average stack was 34,000, Hero Clayton had 125,000, which may have been the biggest stack in the room at that point. So I'm playing the tournament that I'm most excited to play, and I'm chip leader with 500 players. I mean, come on, does it get any better than this? It's so great to be back in Vegas, sitting down at the table and looking into people's eyes and figuring out how best to exploit their tendencies. Now, as the cards lay in that hand, our opponent did happen to have uh, a premium hand himself, and it's unlikely that he would have folded had we five bet all in with our aces. But I have seen it before, guys. Um, It is possible that he would find that hero fold. But once the flop comes, 9-9 deuce, of course, he's never going to throw away those queens. So whether he makes a small bet on the flop or he just puts it all in, uh, we are going to get those chips almost every time because of the pre-flop slow play. So that was a fun one. Um, Yeah, and things continue to go well for a while. Uh, But let's go to the 300-500 level. This will be the second hand we discuss. I have three for you guys today. So hopefully this episode will get a few more comments on Twitter. And if you don't use Twitter, but you happen to use Apple Podcasts, number one, subscribe to this podcast. Number two, make sure that you leave us a nice five-star rating and a review. I know every podcaster in the world asks you for this favor. I cannot be an exception because it just means so much in terms of giving us visibility in the very crowded poker strategy space. So if you like this podcast and you want to help us, uh, we don't charge you money for the podcast. Occasionally we do an ad for this company or that company, but for the most part, it's a free, (laughs) no strings attached relationship that you and I have. So if you have a moment, And you can leave us a nice rating and review on iTunes, well, Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps a lot. Anyway, here's hand number two from Monday's Mystery Bounty Tournament. At this point, the blinds are up to 300 and 500 with a 500 big blind ante. The average stack is about 35,000 and my stack is almost 80,000. So we are cruising along here in this thing and loving life just so happy to be playing in this tournament that i've been fantasizing about and talking about for a year and a half okay so in this hand 
It's 355. And uh, let's see, a player who recently joined our table, a young player, I'm guessing maybe like Egyptian, possibly Persian, um, just based on his his looks. Uh, he seems a little bit agitated, like kind of uh, kind of guy that can't sit still without his leg moving, restless leg syndrome type of guy. Um, he's got kind of a flashy sweatshirt on. Uh, he looks like uh, first read here. Now, many times my first reads are wrong, which you will know if you do watch that 3K final table that I did last week with David Tuckman, where I have a read on one of the players uh, as being incapable of a certain play, like it's just not in his repertoire. And I even made the classic mistake of using the word definitely when describing what I thought this player would do and then he definitely did not do what i thought he would do uh anyway yeah go watch that if you can i think it was a very interesting and uh, entertaining final table so anyway uh getting back to this let's say egyptian player uh you know he seems like he wants all eyes on him uh sometimes you can just sense that someone is extroverted and wants to show up at the table he just sat down my first read on him is that he wants to try to start taking control of the table right away. Uh, he seems to want to get into some sort of alpha male dominance position. By the way, guys, let me just say that on Monday, while I was playing in the Mystery Bounty, over at the Rio, there was a ladies' tournament. And so that means that on Monday at the win, everyone was male. So I'm looking around, and if you were a female in that poker room on that day, you were serving drinks or dealing cards or giving a massage. And it just creates a different vibe. When it's all men in competition, some of them start to let their animal instincts take over, their uh, ancestral ego, their desire to be alpha male or whatever. So you do see, I think, a little bit more tough talk, uh, even though many of, much of it was good-natured, to be clear. It wasn't like a lot of uh, cursing each other out or anything like we saw Phil Helmuth do oh, the other day at his stud final table, which was just uh, embarrassing. And the double standard at the WSOP that Phil gets away with it while other players have been banned for life for saying wor- uh, less. Anyway, that's another story. But yeah, I noticed that this sort of all male contest had a slightly different color than say the millionaire maker, which I also played last weekend and which uh, even if there is just one female at the table, for me, it feels like it changes the overall dynamic. And I can't really explain that. Perhaps a behavioral psychologist would do better, but I'm just saying what I observe Uh, and it could be a coincidence, but I noticed that at least from my perception of things, toxic masculinity was <laughs> fully in play <laughs> at the win. So anyway, this player opens to 1,200, and uh, he's in early position, and he's got about 36,000 in his stack. Two players call, including the uh, reasonable player that uh, originally made it 800 in the uh hand of the other hand that I just discussed with my aces. So that player now is calling 
here. Um, I'm in the small blind with pocket sixes, and I don't think that folding makes a lot of sense. Uh, by the way, the first the first caller had about fifty thousand, and the second caller had about forty five thousand, and the raise here is just to twelve hundred. So even if you just want to play fit or fold, you can still call here 900 more and go just for the set mine if you want to. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you could also put sixes into a three betting range if you want to. I prefer not to just because I already have so many hands uh, in my three betting range that are either very strong or relatively weak that basically know how to respond to a four bet and so I don't like to have these small to medium pairs in that range because actually at this stack depth, I think it might be tricky to figure out how to respond to a four bet. So if I three bet to say, I don't know, I guess I would have made it like 3,500 and then the original razor makes it, let's say a small one to like 8,000 and then the other guy calls well, now I think I pretty much have to call and really hope to hit a set with what is now uh, a very mediocre hand, uh, unless, of course, you know, I do hit that set. So I don't like building those big pots from out of position where I don't know how I should respond to a four bet. So I'd rather have a hand that's going to be really easy for me to throw away or a hand that's e either going to be really easy for me to call with or to five bet with in that three betting range. So for all those reasons, I just call for 900 more and then the big blind getting ridiculous odds folds anyway. So if I didn't know he was tight before, I knew it now. So three of us, sorry, four of us see this flop and it comes jack of diamonds, 10 of diamonds, deuce of spades. And we have... Six of spades, six of clubs. So we've got uh, two black sixes on a jack 10 deuce with two diamonds. Uh, I check. I think I can lead here some of the time. Uh, most of my leading range is going to be flush draws or combo draws or possibly uh, straight draws, maybe two pair, maybe sets. Uh, so six is not in the leading range, but definitely with three opponents, I should have some type of leading range. Uh, but yeah, not, not with the sixes on Jack 10 deuce. So I just check the original razor, the aforementioned, uh, ego, <laughs> egotistical Egyptian. I actually don't know if either of those adjectives accurately describe this opponent, but when you're playing live poker, I think it's beneficial to make some snap decisions about what's going on and who people are. It sometimes can guide my decision-making in very close spots. To be clear, I wouldn't base my entire tournament life on just a read, a general read that I think someone has an ego problem. But in this case, I think that it, it might affect how I play this hand or future hands against this opponent as evidence continues to build. All right, so I just check, and he bets 900 into the 5,700 pot. Both of our other opponents fold, leaving me heads up with this original razor. Now, 
Look, he just bet into three opponents, and that is an argument for him having a very strong hand. Um, we have pocket sixes, which are going to be difficult to play on a lot of turns and a lot of rivers. So these two pieces of evidence are very strong arguments for folding the sixes and living to fight another day against this guy. I'm going to be out of position with sixes on Jack-10 deuce. And if they're good now, I'm going to get outplayed a lot on future streets, depending, of course, on what comes off on turn. I mean, if it's a six, it's probably going to be hard for me to get outplayed. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, these are all cases for folding. But my problem is I'm getting such a ridiculous price. I mean, it costs 900 to call and there's already 6600 in the middle. I'm getting seven to one, guys. And there's some chance that my sixes are good right now. So getting seven to one in this case, uh, if had this been a heads up pot, this is a clear call every time, even if he bets a little bit more. The solvers say you can't just throw away uh, a pair below second pair every time or you're just way too exploitable. So certainly for this tiny sizing in a heads up pot, I would have had to call. The fact that he bet into three opponents makes it a bit murkier. On balance, I decide to see what happens next. So I put in the 900 and now with 7,500 in the pot, the turn card comes the four of hearts. So our board is jack of diamonds, 10 of diamonds, deuce of spades, four of hearts. And uh, I can lead this card if I want to. The old check call lead is a pretty confusing play. I should be able to get uh, folds from hands that I'm already beating, but I don't know of too many hands that I'm not already beating that would lay down for this bet. So if I'm already ahead, why should I bet? Am I really that interested in trying to protect the equity that my pocket sixes have against a hand like ace-king or whatever else I could be beating right now? I don't think so, so I'm just going to check it and not go for the donk lead on the turn. So our opponent, to my delight, checks behind. All right, so he bets tiny on the flop and he checks back on the turn. Now, if you had a hand like ace-jack or pocket-kings or you know just a, a strong pair in this scenario, don't you want to bet bigger on the turn to protect against a flush draw or a straight draw or any number of gut shots that could be out there? Um, and if even if you had a hand like pocket eights, let's say, wouldn't you want to bet a little bit more on the flop to represent a stronger pair? Uh, and then certainly checking behind feels like, yeah, I could be up against pocket sevens, pocket eights. Uh, they bet really small on the flop because they weren't sure where they were. And then they decided to shut it down and just take their showdown value on the river. Okay, okay, that's all fine. But it feels to me like my sixes are probably going to be good at least some of the time, if not most of the time, when he bets tiny on the flop and checks back on the turn. The river comes the ten of spades pairing the board. So we've got a jack, ten, deuce, four, ten board, and the diamonds missed. No flush came in. We check again. And now 
our opponent bets ten thousand five hundred into the seventy five hundred pot. So he is over betting the pot by about fifty percent. He's betting one hundred and fifty percent of the pot, which by its nature is a polarizing bet. In other words, he should never be doing this with just pocket eights or a deuce or something, right? He's going to either have a busted draw or a very strong hand like pocket jacks for a full house, maybe jack 10, something like that. Um, He is no longer representing one pair, although this would be a pretty sick value play with a hand like ace jack or pocket aces just not scared at all of the 10 or of full houses uh you don't see it that often but this is a 2200 buy-in so there's some chance our opponent has that gear in him and is trying to get value from a hand like king jack if he has ace jack or pocket kings something like that so uh but yeah i don't think those hands would have played the flop and turn this way very often so i can discount them to some extent so If I don't think he has aces, kings, ace, jack, well, then I have to think that he's got a polarized range, i.e. three of a kind or better, or a bluff. And it feels like he's probably going to have a bluff a lot. And in order for me to make this call, he needs to be bluffing pretty often. And I need to be pretty sure of it. Uh, You can't afford to just go calling 150% of the pot bets on the river just on a hunch. So I'm trying to piece it all together. This bet doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, I think this player is probably uh, ego-driven more than most and therefore more likely to try to uh, prove his alpha male dominance more than most. Now I just have to try to get a physical read off of him. I noticed that he had his elbows on the table and was sitting very still, even holding his breath. I didn't think that he was trying to look relaxed when he was nervous or trying to look nervous when he was relaxed. I thought that he looked nervous and that he was nervous. Uh, As an actor myself, I can often tell when someone is a bad actor (laughs) and trying to do acting, although of course I'm wrong some of the time. But as mentioned earlier, guys, if I think that I have some useful information that useful information can help me make decisions that are close i think this is a pretty close decision but that little piece of information he had physical signs on display that normally indicate bluffing behavior and so i decided to put in the call and he instamucked so i'm guessing ace queen ace king possibly with a diamond. Um, But yeah, I do not know what I beat. But the sad part is I didn't get to show my sixes. (laughs) I kind of wanted to show them, like, look what I called you with. You're over bet. Anyway, uh, that was one of my favorite hands from that tournament. Uh, This episode is getting too long. I do have another hand or two from the mystery bounty that we may or may not get to on a future episode. The action is fast and furious here in Vegas. There are a lot of guests lined up to appear on this podcast in the coming weeks. You guys can show your love by visiting 
Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, definitely hit up tournamentpokeredge.com for the best value in the world of tournament poker training. So, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.